Hello friends! Do you own a Grogger? You probably don't, and you probably have no idea what a Grogger is. So don't mistake it for a growler, which you put a bunch of beer in. Right. This is not a growler. This has nothing to do with beer. This is actually something you spin, and you can spin it on your- you can spin it over your head, or you could spin it on your side. This is what you use after you have the growler. And you right. Just, you, you have a growler up. and you have some champagne, you get a little crazy, and then when the ball's about to drop, you take out that grogger and you spin it around like there's no tomorrow. But hopefully there is a tomorrow, and hopefully the world's not ending. Hooray, it's 2017. <laughs>we do, that's what we need. We, we should need some insert some clapping. Yeah. That would. Oh, you don't have some kind of gag rule. Oh. I mean, this is. What kind of podcast is this? You need to have a, key, a MIDI keyboard ready on hand at all times. Well, and just I mean, some patches. We'll, we'll have to do it in post. Yeah, so. that, that's our next thing is to get some sound effects. Yeah, yes. So this conversation right now is absolutely mute because <laughs> everything is going to be thrown in post. There's going to be some kind of. Uh, <laughs> I forgot of the term. What's the the instrument where you spin around and it does the a grogger? Is that it? Wait, what spin, instrument that you spin around? What like what Happy New Year? <laughs> Happy or for what is it for Purim? Maybe. I'm sure you weren't thinking of Purim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are we gonna have to do this over? Again? No, this is this is gold. Um, this is great. This is actually this is better than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's we'll get into it. Mike, why don't you start us off then? Um, yeah, Keith, why don't you start us off? So we uh, all know each other from college, and we were talking about a party. That I had in September, probably now, mm-hmm. and we decided to get together a few times to watch a series of Mel Brooks movies. We're all a fan of his comedy, so we got together about a month ago, and we watched three Brooks movies in one day, along with, we had dinner together. And it was saw, lovely. Well, we saw Spaceballs. Yeah, we started we with Spaceballs. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Blazing, Blazing Saddles, right? And then... We topped it off with another evening uh, this past Saturday when we saw History of the World. Part one. Part one. And we saw right after that, which was a good uh, segue, was Men in Tights because there was a reference to History of the World. With it. yes. It's good to be the king. And when yeah. Patrick Stewart comes, um, swings by at the end and you know makes out with the bride. Yeah. Before we talk about, uh, about the specific Mel Brooks... I'm curious, uh, what are you guys' thoughts on the Melathon that we had? Like, personally, I'm thinking I would love next year to do, like, a really big thing, like, get a whole bunch of people together, start really early, Mm. and just go through them all. I like that idea. I think it's nice that we started small and that it was just the few of us this year. Yeah, we're testing it out. Yeah, it could be something that could 
get it, you know, grow into something big. But how many movies could you watch in one day? <laughs> people do Star Wars marathons. Yeah, people so do Star Wars marathons. So say at least six. And you could watch all right. the Harry Potter movies all together. My, if you don't include bathroom breaks and food breaks, you could do it in eighteen hours. So. I feel I like mean, it, even if you did... doesn't mean I recommend it. No, but I'm just saying, it's, it's possible. It can be done. I feel like even if you did seven it's, Al Brooks movies, it wouldn't equal one Lawrence of Arabia. So you're good. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're relatively short. They're about, about like an hour and a half mm-hmm. each. I mean, I think it's a fun idea to pick any writer-director combo. Mm-hmm. We, we could do the same thing with uh, Woody Allen, which, mm-hmm. I mean, there's even more comparisons that, there, right? Writer-director, he's Jewish, yeah. there's... There um, is, but Woody Allen, but his did, movies are a little... They're a different style of comedy, mm-hmm. and they They're varied out, as well. And, yeah. Drama and, and dark. And they're varied, and there's one a year. Yeah. That would and, and, and now an Amazon show, too, which I haven't seen. So yeah. he's just... He keeps cranking them out. So yeah. out of the ones that we saw, do I remember... We were discussing in our previous Mel mm-hmm. um, podcast, our part two part Mel, our part two podcast. Mel um, that you were saying like you haven't seen History of the World Part One in a while, but that was your favorite. Mm-hmm. Is yeah, it, is it still your favorite? And Keith, I don't know if I ever knew if you had a favorite, and if you do, what is it? Ethan, well, first. Well, I'll go first and say that I still really enjoyed History of the World Part One, right. but I think for me. I, I love the first half. It's great. Mm-hmm. But I love the second half much, much more. Okay. I really like the French... Once it gets into the French Revolution, it just, like, it kicks it up a notch. And it just kind of... It goes off the rails, but in a very, very good way. Mm-hmm. That makes any sense. I remember... I liked it a lot more than I remember. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was great. Mm-hmm. There's just so many funny things. A- and the, the stuff with Moses, too. Oh, yeah. Because I forgot how funny that was. <laughs> <laughs> I love how just he always sneaks in Yiddish. Yeah. Into his thing. There's like, oh, there's a train. I always yeah. have to have a train in our podcast. Yeah. Um, he has a thing. He's like, Moses, can you hear me? He's like, yes, yes, a deaf man can hear you. Mm. What was that? Nothing, nothing. I gunished, I gunished. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the overtop Jewish character. Yeah. You know, the, the, like he's going to play a parody of himself. That's <laughs> Um, the, the point of and that, then just like amazing. in the yogurt, you know. Oh yeah, the name isn't isn't inherently Jewish by a, a, any sense, but was he play? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> his selling point is merchandise and making money. Yeah. He's even like paying just, to just plain yogurt. Yeah. You me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But and then um, in history world, well, like you were saying, the Moses part. There's like there's two that really are really funny to me. Obviously the. 15, ten, 15 commandments, oi, 10, 10, ten commandments. commandments, yeah. And then at the end of uh, the Rome uh, segment of that movie where the, they come to the water and they're like, oh no, we don't know how to cross it. And then Moses appears and raises up yeah. and it turns out he's being mugged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just too funny. Yeah, they're those little moments that are really great, but... Uh... But yeah, I still think the second half of the movie just mm-hmm. really brings it home. What about you, Keith? Uh, sorry, I mean, I agree with that statement. The French Revolution part, especially with the king, yeah. that entire character in himself is a um, great representation of, I mean, when you read about uh, King Louis and how ostentatious he was and decorative, and uh, we look back on his culture um, in his cult of personality, and it's so ornate. 
and maybe even a little gaudy now. Um, but there was that disparity and discrepancy between the common man and him. And he just blows that way up in the air, especially with how he just goes up to women like Donald Trump and, you know. <laughs> hey, I mean, hey this, this isn't a political podcast. <laughs> right. But we have Donald Trump on audio, too, pretty much acting like it's good to be the king. <laughs> yeah. Um, You're right. It, yeah. It, it, in, in fact, that's his exact tone of voice when he's in that little um, with uh, Billy Bush and talking with him. The way in which he's speaking is almost identical to, you know, the parody of uh, King Louis. But anyway, that makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> I, I mostly enjoyed before this uh, marathon. I was more familiar with History of the World and Spaceballs, <clears throat> so those were my two favorites. Yeah. But uh, then when you throw in Young Frankenstein into the mix, um, it's it, it's different. Um, but I kind of like hold. Those three on on the same level. I love parodies in themselves, so it's extremely difficult to ignore Spaceballs. Yeah, the, I mean that's the best Star Wars parody there is, and um, I, I'm taking to account Robot Chicken. I'm taking to account Family Guy. They've done their own parodies, um, but Mel Brooks himself even recognizes that as his best work. Yeah, mm-hmm. for so, sure. Yeah, I would I would say. Spaceballs and Young Frankenstein were might have been my two favorites. For me, it's Watch. definitely Young Frankenstein is still my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Spaceballs. I don't know if I would say it's also my favorite, but it has a special place in my heart as one of the first. I think the first one I saw was Robin Hood, and then the second one I saw was Spaceballs. That makes sense because of when we were yeah. kids. And then just Spaceballs, just it it just it's so great. And what's funny, I think. As you get older and you just learn more, it just becomes funnier and funnier. I found out something that he... Because typically, uh, Mel would check with the director if they're still alive or a specific... Because he checked with um, Alfred Hitchcock when he did High Anxiety. He wanted right. to get his blessing, essentially, right. to make that movie. And he also apparently checked with um, George Lucas when he was doing Spaceballs. And essentially, George Lucas said... Go ahead and do it, just as long as it doesn't affect my ability to sell merchandise, which is why he stuck yeah. that whole merchandising thing in with yogurt. So That's yogurt it. actually wasn't Yoda, it was George Lucas. Oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I I would be rather remiss if I forgot to mention this story about Men in Tights, because we watched that movie, and mm-hmm. I told Mike this, but I didn't tell Ethan, and obviously anyone who's listening, but when I was a kid... My father and I used to go to this uh, this movie store. I think it was in Albany, and they would flatten the VHS um, box covers, and you'd pick them out, and it was like a dollar rental or something like this. And I was a big fan of the Kevin Costner Robin Hood movie, mm-hmm. but on the cover of that movie, it's just one um, arrow on a bow, and just Kevin Costner. With, you know, the bow extended and it's on fire. I, I remember this image. It's like burned into my brain. Now, I'm, I'm picking out movies as a kid. And, well, you're, so you're, you're 10 years old or whatever. And you see that cover. And like, okay, that's really exciting. That's a bow and arrow. That's going to be action. And you're a young boy. And then you find Men in Tights. Well, what the cover of Men in Tights is, it's got Robin Hood. But he's got five arrows <laughs> all stacked up. And you're thinking to yourself, like, oh, man, like, I'm in the mood for action. Who am I going to go with? 
Kevin Costner's like measly one arrow or this badass five arrow conglomeration, you're like you're definitely going to assume that the latter is <laughs> yeah. the big action movie, the big you know blockbuster. So then when Dave Chappelle shows up and there's like jokes about a blind man and you know it goes on and on, you're just like wait, where's the action with this? You know. <laughs> we should mention that Robin Hood is played by Carrie Elwes. Yes. In uh, in Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, Carrie Elwes of yeah. of a uh, liar liar fame. <laughs> Prin- <laughs> Prin- Prin- Princess, Princess Diaries. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Bride, Bride. I was going with liar liar, but yeah, <laughs> Princess Bride. <laughs> the claw. One thing that mm-hmm. that I realized, and I may have told both of you at some point, but um, when I went to Disney recently, and when we were in Hollywood Studios, they have this one ride where you, it, they kind of take you on the history of cinema making. Yeah. And when you're waiting on the line, they show you clips from uh, from certain movies. And, of course, the guy's name is escaping me right now. Uh, Earl Flynn. Earl Flynn is the guy's name. He's uh, plays Robin Hood, and they show mm-hmm. you an old uh, clip of him in yeah. that character. And it was surprising, because for like an old movie, like they were all over the place. The action was really... like. It was intense, yeah. and they're running around. It's very physical, and there's a, a part where they go behind this large column, and there's, I guess, a, a torch that's uh, with flames and everything, and it's casting a shadow. So it's a shadow of the two men fighting, and that's it, like they have that going on for a while. And when I saw that, it instantly made me think of Robin Hood Men in Tights because there's a scene in the final battle between... Robin Hood and the Sheriff of, oh my god, the Sheriff of Rottingham. Rottingham. Not yeah. Nottingham, yeah. Rottingham. Uh, there's a, a scene between those two guys and they go behind a column at a certain point and they start having their shadows fight. Right. But instead of doing continuing with the sword fight, they do shadow puppets and they right. have the shadow puppets attack each other. So instantly I thought, I was like, oh my god, again, he's like, as he does with all these movies where he looks back to the, the original source and plays off of that he again did it in this one and it was it's hilarious yeah well one thing i, I really noticed about mel brooks is he loves to steal from himself yes so he'll bring up he'll bring up references references to his old movies but also will repeat things in like in a different way perhaps mm-hmm. so like he did at the end of history of the world part one where he has jews in space as like the last yeah. those fake trailers mm-hmm. and and the song is the same tune as the Men in Tights song. Yeah. So he just said, fuck it. I'll just keep the same tune and just add new lyrics <laughs> well, over it. Not only does it's my It's my own stuff. I, yeah. can, I can totally steal from myself. Absolutely. And not only that, but I'm almost positive that in... <laughs> I would say the majority of his movies, he does the walk this way gag. Where oh, the, yeah. some character will say, walk this way. And then every single character will uh, mimic... The initial character who oh, said yeah. that. Yeah. We saw that Men in Tights and Men History Tights of the and World. History, yeah. They do that in... Um, I don't think they do it in Blazing Saddles. They do it in Young Frankenstein. Um, and yeah. Well, the, the, repeat joke, the repeat joke from Blazing Saddles and into History of the World, and I don't know if there's any others, but it's with Harvey Korman, where in Blazing Saddles... His name is Hedley Lamar, but they mm-hmm. all call him Hedy. Yeah. And then in History of the World, oh yes, he's K- 
Count de Monet, but everyone calls him Count de Money. Count de Money. So like they use that. It's funny because they use the same kind of joke with the same actor. That's so funny. I didn't even, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's also there's a crossover between history of not history of Blazing Saddles and Robin Hood Men in Tights because they use the same hangman. Yeah, they use the same right. hangman. Yeah, and he's, yeah, so he's and he's the same character. But I almost I almost like him as Count de Money even better. Oh yeah. Count de Monet even better. <laughs> I just think Monet. it's... Monet. Yeah, it's great. But uh, so I, I'm watching... We haven't talked much about Blazing Saddles. No. And I I still love Blazing Saddles, but of all the ones that we saw, I feel like that one, if anyone is outdated, it's that one. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's just seemed... It seemed the most outdated to me, which yeah. is weird considering that Young Frankenstein's in black and white. Right. But Blazing but Saddles I, seems... I mean, the thing the pacing of Blazing Saddles is... Very different from all the others. I mean, I, I consider... Also a lot of N-word, too. Yeah. I, I consider Young Frankenstein to be almost in its own category. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just the way in which... The, what say Mel Brooks had in all the other films was much more than um, it was in uh, Young Frankenstein. But the pacing of Blazing Saddles is more situational humor. It's not joke after joke. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, this revolving door of parody like on itself that's true um, it's it's almost relationship based humor the relationship between the sheriff and the town the relationship mm-hmm. between the sheriff and um gene wilder uh, gene wilder you yeah. know it, it's it, it's more so that the interesting thing i think about blazing saddles is while some of the other movies also he he does have some sort of commentary um, he typically tries to do some sort of gag at the Nazis or this and that. Mm-hmm. Like the big one is obviously the producers, which we didn't necessarily watch. But in Blazing Saddles, he really kind of focuses on the commentary of of how certain people are treated, and the, which is like the big emphasis on the N word. Yeah. And how like I think before Quentin Tarantino, he Mel Brooks had like the monopoly on using that word the most. In oh, movie. for sure. And it's just, it was so interesting because he really, like, he helped, I mean, he had other, he had great, he had Richard Pryor as a, as a writer on that uh, film. That, for, uh, for Blazing, for Blazing Saddles, yeah. That's right, because he originally wanted, he, he was supposed to star Right, that. he originally yeah. wanted Richard Pryor to be uh, Black Bart, but yeah. the, um, I believe it was the, the head of, of, I believe that's a Warner or Fox? Warner Brothers. It's yeah. either Warner or Fox. The head of the studios were didn't want him because he he did drugs essentially and they're like we don't want him to be associated with that so they found uh cleavon little mm-hmm. to play that role and it, it's just it's i love how they although they use the n-word a lot the focus is on showing how ridiculous the white people who are say, using the word are and like how oh, just yeah. how insane racism is like the two parts that really stick out are the it's uh, in the very beginning where the I don't know he's I don't know what he is but he's he one of the one of the guys in charge of the railroad as they're they're being it's being built something Johnson that was in town yeah, yeah. I know everyone's so, but essentially Johnson. he he I'm gonna change the word up so so I can say it because I don't know we're white people uh, he was like can you guys do like a Negro song or whatever yeah and they're like well what are you talking about and so they just like come on sing so they started singing I think Frank Sinatra 
He's oh, like, yeah. no, no, I'm talking about like Camptown Ladies and some of that. And they're the like, Camp Town the Camptown Ladies. I've never heard of this. So then the, all the white guys who were supposed to be in charge and think they're better than all these people start dancing around and acting like complete jackasses singing yeah. da- Camptown Ladies, which I think is just such like a beautiful juxtaposition of just like these these people who think they're superior and mm-hmm. are just dancing around like a bunch of jackasses yeah. saying these terrible things. Yeah, and then the other thing that pops in my head was uh, shortly after he Black Bart's walking around town and he walks up to the old lady and she's he's like, "Well, good morning, ma'am. Isn't it a lovely day?" And she says, "Up yours, N-word." Yeah, and then Gene Wilder has this great story with a, a speech with him. He's like, "You have to remember, these are people of the land. Like, good, these are just farmers. These are people the the common clave." Mm-hmm. He keeps going on, you know. Morons. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. those two parts just stick out and always make me laugh. Yeah, well, that's that's the general idea, you mm-hmm. know. And, and it's great, I think, that over time, you will see that the manifestation of irony, such the way that you put it, actually becomes the modern reality. So, in other words, it becomes a selling point to have a black cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you got Blazing Saddles, and I'm sure there's other movies that... Uh, I mean, are just not coming to mind for me right now. But now we got uh, Django Unchained, right? You know, that's like a modern example. Then you have The Ridiculous Six. That's like another modern example. So that's Quentin Tarantino. That's Antoine Fuqua. Um, it's making that more commonplace, and it's embracing the Ridiculous that. Six. Or are you talking about uh, or the Magnificent Seven? It's yeah, the Ridiculous Six. That's like a Netflix. That was that was yeah, that was Adam Whatever's Sandler. Whatever the Antoine Fuqua. I know. Was, I think they, I know what you're trying to do. It's not, the Ridiculous Seven, isn't it? <laughs> the, I think that, it is. Or the Magnificent Seven, like the remake one or the old one. Um, I mean, maybe the old one too. I, I actually. And not sure, I'm not familiar with the cast. I think you might be talking about the new one. Well, there's. Or are we talking about the. Are we talking there's about the, so many the, of them. Was it the crazy? It's got Denzel Washington. In no, the, okay, that's the new. No. That's the new Magnificent Seven. That's the new Magnificent. That was great. The old. I haven't seen that, but I've seen the old Magnificent Seven, mm-hmm. and I've seen the Seven Samurai. Oh, okay. That was like so. That, that was the first one, and then they made Magnificent Seven with Ewell Brenner mm. and um, Steve McQueen. Okay. Back in the day. Back in like 62, 61. Okay. And that movie's really good too. I would like to see the new one. Mm-hmm. But yes, those are westerns. <laughs> those are westerns. <laughs> right. Those but, are examples of yeah. westerns. But, it, but, but, the ir- <laughs> but the irony is like a way to like, it's like a f- foot in the door. It's the sense of entertainment. And it, you know, it's certainly that literary element was never a stranger to. Mel Brooks. No, I was always yeah. willing to employ that. Otherwise, you'd never have the idea to parody anything mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And there's also a fart scene in that movie. There is There's a great fart yeah. scene. Yeah. But I always think... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to take a subject matter that's worth parodying. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because a lot of times, and we've talked about this maybe too much... But I'm gonna mention it anyway. All right. With those those terrible like epic movie, yep. um, yeah, those series where they're yeah they're making fun of movies that are already funny and probably much funnier than than <laughs> them. Absolutely, <funnier. laughs> because because they're terrible. Mm-hmm. And that's a really risky move, and yeah. it pretty much never works. Well, what it is, it's it's like being a musician and taking a piece of music 
and saying, I'm going to arrange it to my fashion or I'm going to create a medley. That's all yeah. that is. The, the whole epic movie, not another teen movie. I mean, scary movie. But a medley the, that sounds the, like shit. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a medley and you can't go in expecting to experience anything that came up when you watched like the original movies. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's hit or miss. I, I yeah. think you got to treat it like an SNL episode right there's going to be some skits that you're really going to enjoy other skits that maybe go too far they're too cheeky they're too crude um they're they're just widening their audience right they they know that they're going to get this specific range of people you know from 16 to 30 or something right that are going to either sneak into the theater because it's radar or they'll actually be able to buy the ticket or go in with their parents I mean, are they the last people to do any kind of spoof movie? I we talked about that in so. another podcast, yeah. and I can't remember their names for the life of me. But it was Jason and somebody else. But that's sad, though, right? That's sad that those are the only people around who are doing that yeah. sort of thing. What about like National good. Lampoon? Are, are I mean, still have, doing like but National Lampoon and stuff. What was like the last thing they did? Like what Vacation. Was it? Van, Van Wilde. Oh, they did come out with a yeah. They had they had a vacation, vacation, but. Yeah, so they're parroting themselves at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, the, those I mean, aren't but, great. But but my point is, it's an institution that made movies that are parodies. Mm-hmm. And oh, sorry. It's th- th- that's a unique art because it's not a new thing. You can't be a new company, <laughs> or at least I think it would be very difficult to be a, 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 a some kind of like a new group of writers that are approaching Warner Brothers and says, "Got this great idea. We're going to just do a parody of all the." You know, dramas of last year or anything that was not made for a best picture. Yeah, it's not going to be. Oh sh- shoot, man! Yeah, that is a great idea. We'll definitely throw you a budget of fifty million dollars, right? <laughs> you, it, so you have to have some form of establishment beforehand or some mm-hmm. um, also bigger connections. You don't think about too is not as many people are going to the movies. Yeah, that might have something to do with it as well because you can't make fun of big movies of people if most people haven't really even bothered to see them I, I mean is that true though because I mean movie sales are still skyrocketing we're breaking records uh, again and again yeah, we, yeah, but Tropic that, Thunder breaking records and Avatar breaking records Tropic Titanic. Thunder that's, that's going back though Tropic, I mean how ago. far like I might as well say Titanic because that broke the record and then yeah. Avatar broke that but Tropic Thunder actually broke some significant right. records themselves especially for a comedy highest grossing comedy of all time it has, to it, have, it has to have something that hasn't been done before like it has to have something unique whereas like Although, Avatar you know Avatar but visually but movies ticket sales though I I'm saying s- I don't think they're going down I mean we got movie prices that are going up so that might I was going to say factor, Tropic Thunder is actually a really good example of a, a great kind of spoof and or parody like that's making. That's taking a yeah. shot at like platoon. It's taking platoon, it to, to, uh, all the war movies. Yeah, the, all the yeah. Vietnam kind of war movies. I think that that's actually like, it's, a really funny. It's true, example. but that I was put like, it on the same. That level, was fifteen though. years in the making. Fifteen twenty years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, Ben Stiller had been writing that for a long time, mm-hmm. and I don't know. <laughs> I, I wish there was for the Academy Awards a specific. Uh, recognition for an actor in a comedic role only that mm-hmm. so not like mixed comedy with theater or yeah. what i forget what the uh 
category actually is it's now just, as it exists. It's, it's just you, actor supporting actor, okay. actress supporting actress. So, so there's there nothing no, that's you could be up okay, against so it's, anybody. It's, it's Golden Globes in which they recognize comedy and in, in theater and musical. I mm-hmm. think they lump all of that together. Yeah, so but that's, that's what like. Um, so for instance, that's weird. To Jim me. Carrey has won two Golden Globe awards. And that's what he's won it for in that category. I wish the the Oscars had that because of Robert Downey Jr. I, I think he was as he was crazy. nominated though, he, he, for an Oscar. <laughs> See, well, at least that's good because yeah. he, he certainly deserved it. I mean, the <laughs> the most ridiculous portrayal, but very good portrayal. Oh, it was great. Yeah, the very I mean, he was offensive the best part blackface. Of yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was the best part of that movie. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. The, fun, the thing that I, I, I was thinking, though, and it kind of goes back to how why the, geez, the epic movie guys kind of suck is, and how Mel Brooks can like put out this incredible movie. Beyond the fact that they're not funny and Mel Brooks is, Mel Brooks movies have an actual story that he they start out with, at least. Like, if you think about Young Frankenstein is a story about uh, a the grandson of Victor Frankenstein, and he wants to, like, he's dealing with whether or not he wants to take on the legacy of his grandfather. That's, yeah. like, a solid story. You can build off of that. Uh, Blazing Saddles is the story about yeah. uh, a, a, black sher- a black man put into a, a sheriff position uh, because uh, the, these... People want to build a train thing, a train through a town, and they know that's going to be a good way to get everybody to like be kicked out of the town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, although history of the world, I, I guess sort of. I was going to say history of the world. Story. History of the world really doesn't. My, my have a story. theory is breaking down at that, but it has, <laughs> it has a lot of little stories, and they forget, yeah. and they forget about certain characters. Right. Like the one woman in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, she's gone. She's gone and replaced with like a different mm-hmm. woman, but. But Gregory Hines is still there. Yeah. Like, but, he's but still I, there. He comes back at the but, end. All right. So that movie doesn't really work with my theory. But, no. the, but It's the, the only I, one, though. It's the I only one. Of. Because then there's Robin Hood, Men and Tights. That's the typical Robin Hood story. Yeah. You have Spaceballs, which is essentially playing off of uh, Star Wars kind of story. Mm-hmm. So like he's, he's starting with an actual story and is playing off of that. And I think that that's what a lot of those... But the epic movies are combining are. multiple... Movies from different subgenres of the, let's say, horror genre for scary right. movie. So if you're going to look for some straight continuity, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, you're not going to get that because with scary movie, they're like, okay, we got The Exorcist. Okay, that's this type of movie. Okay, but we also have zombie movies that we want to touch base on. Oh, we got um, Halloween that we want to touch base on. Okay, we got to get Nightmare on Elm Street. So they can't follow the same tangent I think that's the, the problem, though. I think that that's the problem why... Well, that's the reason why they. But that's what work. I'm saying. You got to treat it like an SNL skit mm-hmm. because that's what SNL does. SNL says, like, we got this budget. We got these things that are relevant in pop media culture, and they're totally unrelated but we're going to still shove all of these ideas into one show. You got to treat it like you got the same characters, but you got different skits and each skit is a different movie. If you go in with that expectation and with that point of view, 
you're probably guaranteed to enjoy the movie much more. I'm not saying it's still, you know, the All right, I was just making sure. Trip, I, I wanted to make sure that you weren't defending these movies. Well, okay. I, I, got, I have to defend them to, to, to some extent because uh, some parts... Like, for instance, if, you, if I wouldn't go back to watch the entire movie again of these epic movies or scary movies, what I do instead, I go on YouTube and I type in a particular scene that I enjoy, and mm-hmm. that's that. Yeah. Right. So you're, I'm just seeing this ten minute max, right? Scene. Okay. That's a great, brilliant parody, and something that is beautiful if it just existed by itself. But it just doesn't. It has to be mixed with David Cross or you know some other David ridiculous. Cro- are you thinking of? Scary he was movie in too. Scary Movie too. I actually liked the first Scary Movie. So uh, I thought yeah. it was very. I don't, it was like I was one, say, three are the good ones, right? I don't mind the scary. Or is it, or is it one and two? That's is that the one with yeah. Charlie Sheen? Is three, Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen? Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're I don't they're mind the. Okay. I don't mind the first two, one and two scary movies. I'm talking more about the epic movie, Meet the Spartans. Mm. Uh, well, well, those movies, date movie, those ones I'm talking about are absolute garbage. They go in with without any idea of what they're doing. I feel like the writers' room is just chaotic, and they just they just throw a bunch of shit at a page and then just put it out there, and dumbasses will go see it. Yeah, sorry for the dumbasses who like those movies. The, but. They're guaranteed some percentage of ticket sales, right? Like if you're making a parody movie on movies that folks know, you're going to get a whole bunch of teenagers going on high school dates right to see whatever is going to be see, in the theater i don't know so, about that anymore but but, but 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 no you, it's rare in which know. one of these movies comes out and it's like they i don't know i think they they, they still hit the theaters not as much so. anymore I it's, it's so. not as relevant I think, anymore i think they're straight straight to i mean netflix will take so, them netflix will take them for sure but they you not so much anymore, but my point is it would be valid <laughs> yeah. uh, five, five years, years ago. ago and beyond, you which is when there was a huge movie. rise of it. You would never see an epic movie type thing now in, in the I, theaters. I would hope not. Right. I mean, there's just there's no there's no place for it. Yeah, There's really just no place for it. There's too many other things people want to see. I mean, you were talking about big ticket sales, bef- sales before. I think that the superhero movies are what's driving... Oh hell right yeah! So we, I just saw a Transformers thing today. Uh, yeah, like they're it, it, those movies are crazy. I would never go see those again, but people are gonna go, and they're gonna probably, you know, a disappointing show for it is still pretty good. Like Batman versus Superman was like disappointing. <laughs> that was the worst. But it, but it did okay. You know, like it didn't do as well as they wanted to. Right. But listen, they greenlit more movies, so it must have done decently enough. <laughs> where they said, "Hey, we could do this again, and people are gonna come see it, even if we don't improve upon anything." <laughs> it was better than Man of Steel. <laughs> I see. I, I didn't see that. I didn't really want to see this. We no. just went because, uh, yeah, hey, I wish that, we had. That's getting, <laughs> yeah. It, it's just getting sad that the survival of superheroes isn't through comic books as much as it is crappy Marvel movies and yeah, DC movies now that they're just... I well, mean, it's almost becoming like fast food, but if fast food like had a whole crap ton of money to just throw down all these classic rock hits 
and these very flashy directors. I mean, what what happened though? What started this surge of superhero movies? Because over the years we've had you know a few here and there. We've had like a Superman movie, but then like a few years later there'd be a Batman I, I, movie. There was there were like I, long gaps. I, I think that it's it started up again with the success of Tim Burton's Batman. You think it started that long ago? Well, it's not going to be something that someone gets the idea and it gets put into a place by a dozen directors within a five-year span. It's something that is very gradual. And I think it stems back because people's attention kept on gravitating towards Michael Keaton's character Mm. as Batman, how this actor, even after that movie, Mm. was recognized as this is our generation's Batman. And that was a very important thing that Kevin Keaton, or Michael Keaton, had to shed. Yeah. And when you pass the baton from Tim Burton to, like, Joel Schumacher... Well, that kind of killed it. it, it, But did it really? Because it It made money. Yeah. And it was flashy, and it was memorable. And all of a sudden, people are saying, like, oh, shoot, like, is Val Kilmer my Batman? Like, I don't know. Or, like, is it George Um, Clooney? Or, like, no. But but you see my point, But I think the George Clooney one almost killed the, the Superman genre. I think... If anything, like Spider Man, I think got every start. That's that's what I but, that, that's but, my theory. But where was the start? That was my well, point. No, when I, it comes to our generation, the like start. that's the start, and well, I'm that saying, sold, and you pass it on to mm-hmm. Spider Man, and it just. But, but I'm saying what like re- what kicked it into like hyperdrive, where like because I feel like Iron, with, Iron Man. See, I I think I think Spider Man. Was was the one because people were really excited about Spider Man. It was delayed. There was a delay because it was supposed to come out before it was pre nine eleven. It was supposed to come out, and they had to go back to the cutting room right. because there was a whole scene with him like climbing the twin towers and like this whole yeah. thing. And and then after that, it, I guess it came out two thousand two, mm-hmm. and Spider Man one did really well. I think I don't know if it was that one or if it was the second one well, that it, that initially broke the box office yeah. record. Well, yeah, so Spider-Man 3 that was 2007. Yeah, we don't talk about that one. But that I think that was another thing <laughs> where like I think Spider-Man 3 almost killed it again and then I I, I might be wrong, but I think it was Iron Man that kind of brought yeah. it back mm. and then with Iron Man started the whole Marvel universe oh, the cinematic Avengers. universe because yeah. then that started You're right. All of that but, but DC when was the first DC bat. I was gonna say Batman second. Begins came out two thousand four, yeah. and yeah, also exactly. you had so. you had Ang Lee's Hulk, which was oh god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they tried the Hulk so many times. I'm, and then they, I am convinced and then they, that you can't make you can't make a good Hulk movie. You're starting out with a massive handicap. The, then they know? went. Then they went with they Ed tried. Norton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that was okay. It was alright. It was okay, but no, they no, really you can't you can't you can't make a good Mr. Magoo movie and you can't make a good Hulk movie. That's just the law of the land. I, it's really weird though. They never give up. Like no. they haven't given up on Spider Man. We're up to our third Spider Man in the last fifteen years. No, <laughs> I'm rejuvenating it again. It's, <laughs> no, it's 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 hysterical. Yeah. I just like read that headline, you know, on my phone. It, now, it's like no, 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 guys. This is gonna be the one. This, this, this is it. I, like, like Sony busts through these, like you know, these double doors and say, like, "No, guys, I, I am the savior. I will bring this back." Now, yeah. speaking of bringing it back, what I'm curious is, at what point are you able to make 
superhero parodies. Because I know that they, I think the the epic people tried that out. But I'm talking about like actually something good, like a Mel Brooks. Because like Mel Brooks, did, I'm thinking. I feel like if he was westerns, I'm thinking of of the monster movie kind of Frankenstein. So like that was those were already like classics. I feel like if this was years ago, Mel Brooks would do it because it would be it's the popular thing of the time. Right. You got to take into account though that at the the era that Mel Brooks was at his prime and most active. The budget of SNL was was only a fraction of what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, Mad TV, you know, other platforms mm-hmm. that specialize specifically in parody mm-hmm. didn't have the actual ability to. So it ha- that responsibility had to be bestowed on folks like Mel Brooks. Or at the very least, there is this niche market that he is the only one that can tap into or right. like wants to tap into. Well, so to, to mention who's, who can do it today when you have... Teenagers on YouTube channels with <laughs> millions of subscribers with very rich um, parents that can buy a video mm-hmm. camera and, and, and you know and, and set the records or, or, or just like put something online very quickly. All of a sudden, parody doesn't exist in one form of movie like Blazing Saddles, here's the Western parody, that's all you right. need to know for this decade. No, it's what is happening this month. There's going to be a dozen Western parodies all mm-hmm. on YouTube, and it's just which one's going to float on the, up on the top based upon your Reddit page. Right. Well, I mean, it may just be that he, he does fit this niche market. Um, but the one thing, like, I, I don't know how... like. How big are the budgets of? I mean, Mad TV isn't on it anymore. But how big is the budget of of SNL that I think it's really it has taken over that, think that of area? How- but I mean, if anything, I could say, see that like the whole is it in everybody needs to have everything instantly now with like the internet and how you, you well, have- we see you see an article now you, mm-hmm. like this was on SNL last night. Click it. There's a YouTube link. You're there. It's like two seconds. SNL has so much power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't even have to consider budget at that level of power. Right. They, they, they can bring on almost any actor, actress they want to mm-hmm. for a legitimate parody. But do you think that they actually, like, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just weird. I'm, I've never really been a huge fan of SNL. I've never found it, like, super funny. There's a few things, like, I remember back in the day when, like, Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell were on doing... Oh, what about the, the Sandler... Um, Sandler stuff the when Far- Farley, Farley days are that, that stuff was great, but I never... I, I don't see it in the same category as Mel Brooks. And maybe uh, I'm just being biased because I after Mel after Brooks, this podcast, I'm going to show you some uh, classic uh, SNL clips. And well, like I don't know by, what you mean by same category because we're talking about parody here. If I'm right. not mistaken. Well, yeah, yeah that's and I guess that's that what is saying. literally that's what they do. Uh, you know, half of right. their skits are parodies. Well, yeah, I guess, but well, it's, I, it's a diff- but it's a different style. Right. It's definitely, style. it's definitely a yeah. different style, and maybe it's because it's something that we're. Anyone who does no. a parody, it's going to be a different style. Right. But I guess maybe Ford, the way I'm style, thinking... Style and format, though. Yeah. Whereas Mel Brooks is doing... I mean, he used to do sketch comedy. He used to write for he, your show yeah, of shows. Yeah, show of shows. But in... Yeah, but for, like movies, he's doing full-length features. Right. Whereas... But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that's probably... The, the need for it was mm-hmm. greater, and the need could only more or less be filled by someone who is a full-length feature director mm-hmm. or writer. 
You know, either yeah. or. So where I, now you can actually splice something in and create a five-minute video, and that is the parody um, of this famous superhero movie, right. and that's all that yeah. the people will need. You didn't have that five minutes before. Mm-hmm. There's you a lot more content. If, if you want yeah. any sort of parody, you actually did have to go and see the full-length, yeah. you know, Mel Brooks movie of Spaceballs. If you want to see any Star Wars parody whatsoever, yeah. you know, maybe there is some light, uh, you know, references. Sprinkled somewhere else, but for the most part, because of how, like, who owned, you know, parts of, uh, you know, who was making films and who, mm-hmm. who had the influence, it had to come down to someone yeah. who was making a full length feature. So you're thinking, are, are I'm, I'm curious what your it's a level is. playing field. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm curious what your sense is. Are, are you, are you thinking that it, something like uh, a Mel Brooks movie. Could not happen in in today's kind of world. Some some sort of thing like that, or maybe like uh, an airplane style of movie. Something like that could not happen in today's world. So are we talking parody, or are we talking just types of comedy? What's what's airplane? Airplane is is a bit of you know you know airplane. I know airplane. Okay, yeah, that's kind of also like has like because I believe that was parodying. Airport. Ha- airport. Thank you. Or uh, airport. Was it just called airport? It was another. T- it was the same kind of idea where there was like a plane that was that needed to be yeah. helped piloted down. Okay. So it was kind of spoofing on that that kind of genre. Um, I, I'm saying, do you think that uh, those style where full feature, full length, kind of parody satire films can can exist in in today's world? I, I think it's hard. It's probably hard for someone new to do it, right? It's probably hard for someone new, but if Mel Brooks was to come out with a Spaceballs two, I would say go for it, and I would go see it. But I, but, but today, I don't think I think the only people that around now that are, they're doing their own thing. I mm-hmm. wouldn't say it's anywhere like a Mel Brooks, but someone like Seth Rogen and his writing partner Evan Goldberg, something like something like that. They're doing, I mean, they're not doing. I wouldn't say they're spoofs. But really, they're the only guys like doing like big comedies now. Yeah, big well-known comedies and like their known names. I, uh, I feel like there's really not or well, Judd Apatow also. Yeah, I, I was gonna, I was going to mention them, but I, I mean back to my other point though, and to answer or embellish, uh, going back to your question anyway, Mike. Uh, <laughs> so when people crave spoofs or the idea of a spoof and a satire is attractive is when it's like the first or second of its kind. Mm-hmm. And full-length features take time to put together, right? Right. So when Spaceballs comes out, it's the only thing of its nature to that extent, right? And it's I'm sure that there were folks back in like the early 80s that Spaceballs comes out and they're like, oh man, this is such a great idea. Like, of course you would make a, a you know a goof of this. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this is going to be so funny. They're excited. Where now you can have a movie like Taken that's released on Monday and by Saturday SNL puts a a skit together that makes fun of it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that idea no one's waiting around for. No one is going to think that it's some novel like, oh my goodness, like why wouldn't you put down, you know, millions of dollars to do like a Taken spoof? There is a Taken spoof. It's called Toucan, I think. But it was released after, like, the third Taken movie. Really? It, you know, I'm sure that there was, you know, writing that had to be taken into account and raising budget, whatever it may be. But I think 
it's safe to say that no one would think it's an original idea to do mm-hmm. a spoof on it. Where, once again, back in the heyday of Mel Brooks, it would be an original idea to put it together. Now, that's not to say that you could do a movie that's a bust on an entire genre, mm-hmm. right? That's not nitpicking one movie in particular. Right. Something like that could still be original because there's, you know, at the time that you put it out, there's always going to be a larger volume of movies to bust on than the previous person mm-hmm. that made a spoof, right? Just with the progress of time. Yeah. You have time on your side when you do that, if you delay. But you do not have time on your side if you delay and you're going to bust on one movie because that movie is going to produce sequels or SNL is going to jump on it first or those high schoolers from YouTube. They already did it. That's that's a world I don't know about and I don't don't pay attention to. It's crazy. (laughs) There's so much I I know. Well, I even at work. You guys are on the the Tumblers? We have people or coming Reddit. in. We have people coming in who are YouTube stars, and I'm like, I wouldn't know a YouTube star, and they're thrown down the subway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, know. but they do really well, mm-hmm. and it's I think James Franco is playing a YouTube star in the next uh, Brian Cranston movie. Oh, is that? Did you see uh, scenes with it? It looks really funny. It, it looks kind of like Meet the Parents or something, but like a little bit. reversed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, like a reverse meet the parents. I don't know. It, I hope it's good, I guess, because I like them, but it, yeah. the trailers look silly. So Not that you can judge Whenever James Franco it. looks like a jackass, I'm in full support. Do you like Spring Breakers? <laughs> no, Spring Breakers is a complete waste it's, of time. I kind of, I, I like, I'm indifferent. That, that, di- that director I, I actually it. has talent. I, what the hell is he doing? I, I enjoyed it for its ridiculousness. But anyway, <laughs> I, you made really good points, though. And so... I, the way I'm thinking is where you wouldn't necessarily be able to, I think I agree with you, if you wouldn't necessarily be able to make a spoof of today's kind of something going on today, like something that's recent, like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is coming out. If that came out, you couldn't necessarily make a spoof of that. A but, movie would take right. time, yeah. But I do think I, that there is still room, like if you were to make a spoof of film noir, like, that's an old-style genre. Right, exactly. Yeah. So an entire genre. Yeah, I think that that could still... Mel, please make a uh, film noir. I think spoof. Mel is done. And I don't know if no. I'm going to up on this, on this mic as I'm yeah, picking up the beers. We're picking up those, those beers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's spiking. Makes you, probably well, makes people listening want a beer. Well, okay. <laughs> if we're going to talk about film noir spoofs, there actually are film noir spoofs that are absolutely brilliant. And probably the best one and... Most famous in the sense of uh, a cult following would be Brick. Brick is maybe one of the funniest movies of that year. Um, uh, you know what year? What year that come out? Oh shoot! Um, Wait, I'm gonna look. Yeah, it up. look at our fact checker Ethan's gonna look. <laughs> <it up. But laughs> I, you know, it's it, imagine live animation South mm-hmm. Park, right? Okay. Where South Park is a bunch of kids that are the smart ones in the town, and. It has a, sometimes South Park will have a common theme throughout the an entire episode, mm-hmm. and Brick does that to a large extent in the sense of a neo noir feel, but it's one of the most artistically funny, uh, dramatic, and uh, com- compelling movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think uh, how old? And one of the best spoofs like ever made. It, but it's it it rests in the subtlety. 
of it all. It never, if you were to see the cover of the movie or see the back of the movie or read about it, you'd never get a sense that like, oh, this is making fun of such and such. You know okay. what I mean? It's never explicitly stated. I mean, I, I assume no one else has seen it. I've never no, seen this movie, but what... You have which, to see, Brooke, yeah. Wait, th- I see 2005, but this is a drama. Yeah, exactly. It's not even coming up as near noir but it's a bust. Yeah, it, it can Wait, be described jo- as a genre, too. Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Yeah. Back when he was uh, doing like movies like that, he was doing uh, and Maniac. And this is a comedy, you're saying? It's hysterical. Oh, my goodness. It's so funny. It's but, guy, but it's a comedy. Star Wars. It, it's, it's a big drama. Huh. Um, and it's a big neo-noir uh, film. It, All right. It's, um, well, I mean, we'll you could, you could make a decent argument. I, I would have never thought of this movie category. as a comedy. It, it, it there, there's, there's so many laugh out loud situational humor scenes it's not punching out jokes mm-hmm. but it's once again going back to the south park reference we'll you know it. how funny it is when the nine-year-olds the their fourth they're in fourth grade and they're nine-year-old all the yeah. characters in south park by the way i've been watching like i think i've seen every single episode now um except the new season but i watch like almost every day religiously <laughs> um, because i forgot how brilliant it actually was but their situational humor. That's how South Park survives. They say, the creators, you know, we have these incredible characters on the show. We don't have to write jokes. All we have to do is put these unlikable uh, characters in these unreasonable circumstances and make a few references to pop culture, whatever is happening. Yeah, it's it's a big week. social satire, though, yeah. and it takes but, and it takes a lot of work to keep to keep it up to date. I'm like not that. saying it doesn't require work or creativity whatsoever. I, I tip my hat off to those guys all the time. But what I'm saying is, they're not a group of thirty Simpsons writers that think up of jokes that are just a bunch of comedians. No, Mm -hmm. these guys are actually employing situational humor to the best of their ability every single week. Mm -hmm. And that's how they're able to keep it fresh. And it is maybe known as the most um, consistent comedy show for that reason. And it's because of the characters that they created. And this movie knows, Brick that is, knows how to employ sort of the same elements of what if we had high school kids talking like they're um, the you know uh, the Don from The Godfather, mm-hmm. talking like you know they're um, Joe Soprano, L- like talk about killing some other twelve-year-old while sipping apple juice that their mother just served them at you know a dinner table, or like they're having a serious conversation about like prostitution <laughs> and. Um, their mother interrupts to ask if they want syrup on their Eggo waffles. It's things like that you would expect it to see in South Park. This is like a live animation, mm-hmm. um, re- re- you know, real life version. This makes it a great parody. Do you think Mel Brooks would be a fan of South Park? Do you think he, he's probably watched South Park? I'm sure. And I think, I think someone like him would love social. I wonder commentary. how he would think about the the crudeness of South Park, though. Okay, he might not appreciate it, but I, but I think I think I think I he's know. I think he's pretty I think he's pretty open because he was like a big Sam Kinison fan, um, so I, I I think he'd be open but to it. He's had some I think, dirty jokes. I think like, if any if nothing else, he'd be really he probably really appreciates the how bright they are and and how they're really the best at social commentary, social mm-hmm. satire. There's no one better. Yeah. Hey, Mel Brooks, what do you think of South Park? Yeah, I wonder if he... I mean, 
It's been around for a while. I mean, he's actually on record talking about South Park. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah who knows? But, um, but yeah, I think... <laughs> I think all in all, our conversation kind of went all over the place, but this I liked is a, it. This I, is a I, very I really, bizarre Mel Brooks episode. No, I liked it though because <laughs> I think I think it kind of brings up a lot of different ideas about how it compares to today and what he'd be able to do today. Yeah, I um, I would like to circle back to uh, the very nature of parody itself, and uh, one of the main components of Mel Brooks. It's imbued in, I mean, probably all of his movies at least the jokes in his movies, if not the very nature of them themselves, which is irony. Mm-hmm. And the importance of irony and how Mel Brooks certainly understands the importance of it. And that's why he keeps on um, going back to it, not as a cheap default mode, but using irony as a sense of power. Mm-hmm. So like everyone knows the joke where uh, what Mel Brooks like he'll, he'll take um, a comb yeah, yeah, and yeah. he shortens it he puts it and he uses it as the Hitler mustache right and he does the Hitler salute and you know I was talking um, or we were talking about this like before um, the, the, the act that he's doing there is isn't so much like yes he's making fun of Hitler Third Reich but the joke is the, the center of the bullseye there is the irony that is being used and he knows it because if you had Eddie Murphy doing the same exact joke you would recognize the same elements you would say oh that's a Hitler reference and you would probably laugh but it really wouldn't jostle you the same way that it would a Jewish man doing an older Jewish man I mean now you know he last did that with Jimmy Fallon or whatever, right? You know, and that was absolutely hysterical that he's still, you know, playing those little jokes. Eddie, Eddie Murphy's done whiteface in, 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 in that, coming to America. There you go. Exactly. And that's so, yeah, he's done whiteface. Yeah. And he plays an old Jewish man. Yeah, he plays all the. Oh my god. He's amazing. Oh, it's, it's great. Um, I, yeah. I think that the, the irony is. It, it requires a, uh, intelligence. It requires an understanding of context. Um, it's It goes beyond it just being a joke. Irony actually can be nothing else but situational humor, where if you don't understand the implications of it, you won't know that there's a joke being played. Mm-hmm. And there's so many examples of this in real life. And, I mean, just to use World War II or Nazism alone... There's like two major examples, and one of them is uh, when Freud was um, Freud was held up in Vienna when the Germans, um, with the annexation, the annexation of uh, uh, Austria in in, uh, in 1938. So Freud was held up, and he spoke to some Nazi personnel, and he wanted to get a pardon so he could actually leave Vienna. And they said that okay, we can do this if you write a a, a statement publish it saying that the Nazis treated you well and Freud said I'll do it you know can I add a a sentence like in my own words and I'll sign off on it and the extra sentence supposedly that that he wrote on on this like pardon that he signed is um, that I would thoroughly recommend the Gestapo to everyone right in 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 apparently the Nazis will sign off on it and Obviously, it's ironic humor, and the brilliance of it is you have an autocratic state that doesn't even recognize 
when somebody is really pushing at your buttons, mm-hmm. um, but you don't you don't even know, and, and that's like the very foundation of subversive power within an authoritarian society. Now, apparently, the veracity of that story um, is largely put into question and might not actually be true. But a very similar, <laughs> but a very similar story actually is absolutely true that involves P.G. Woodhouse and also saying similar things about the Nazi regime and them signing off on it. It actually might have been Joseph uh, Goebbels that actually signed off on a radio podcast, or not, not a podcast, but a radio. That um, would have been interesting. You know, show that uh, P.G. Woodhouse like put forth mm-hmm. about how he ended up being under German control in his hometown. Um, but it's, it's the fact that irony has so much power in that it may be, or parody, it pretty much is the first step to challenge those in power. Mm-hmm. And when there's a king, the jester can make fun of everyone else except for the king. If you do the impersonation of the king and make other people laugh at the king, it's that inferiority complex, right? And it's the one thing that you can't do. And that's the brilliant irony of it because the king can recognize irreverent humor in everyone else but himself. That's kind of the classic portrayal of it. So Mel Brooks knows this and he employs it for exactly that reason. Well, yeah, I mean, Mel Brooks was, he was very big on taking the power away from, from those in power, mm-hmm. if you will, using uh, his... Take, I mean, taking power away from people like that we're afraid to talk about. Yeah. Or that you're afraid to touch that subject. I mean, yeah. think and, about, you know, Producers 1968... Right. That's like just a little over twenty years after World War Two. Right. That's really not that. He got it's a, not that long now. It definitely wasn't that long right. then. He got like a lot of flack for that. People yeah. were like in the Jewish community were hey, were furious at him. Like, how dare you? How dare you do this? And they they, they, they missed the point. Why it minimizes it. him? That's what it the, does. The point is to take away anything that makes him mm-hmm. seem like a legitimate person. Like you, mm-hmm. you make fun of everything about him. Same thing with. In Blazing Saddles, where you get these racist white people saying the N-word all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, that, the focus is to, to make fun of these people who are in power, and you take away anything that, that could offend you, essentially. Anything that could hurt you. I mean, you, you, make them, you bring them down to a, a level that you can step on. It's it's stupid comedy, but it, it requires a certain amount of intelligence mm-hmm. to understand the, to understand all the stupidity behind it. Amen. It's kind of it's it's a paradox. Yeah, uh, Hitchens spoke of when he was asked like what um, the purpose of life is or what's most enjoyable in life, and he would generally start out with some joke about um, <laughs> he would start out with some joke about sex, but <laughs> instead of saying comedy. He would always say irony instead. And he was no stranger to comedy. He was an extremely funny person, a very bold um, polemicist for sure. And he would employ comedy all the time. But he would specifically say that irony um, would be one of the, the best things to enjoy in life because it, there's something about it that is powerful, that is subversive. Mm-hmm. That requires some line of intelligence and effort and shows some greater understanding. So when he wrote about irony, um, he called it uh, the knight's move on the chessboard. He called it the cat's purr. He called it the X factor. 
Um, he called it the gin and the Campari. Um, it's what brings the flavor. It's that extra kick. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's so true. And I, it, it's really interesting that a writer would say, um, I'm going to negate an entire genre of writing and just focus on an element. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, I would say that uh, Mel definitely had all that. He was, all those things he said, the cat's pajama. Cat's purr. The cat's, cat's purr. Cat's, cat's pajama. Cat. Mel Brooks is the cat's Mel pajamas. Brooks you can is take the that cat's pajamas. You can quote yeah, Mike on that. Yeah, you can quote me on that. Yeah, he's got all that. He's able to, uh, all the things that you just said in, in very large words. <laughs> very, very well said. Um, well, I think, I mean, I think we pretty much covered everything. and Yeah, man. And we got to some good points. Thanks for being on, Keith. Really yeah, man. appreciate it. Thanks Come. for inviting me to your living room. Oh, <laughs> anytime. You're welcome. Anytime. Uh, your kitchen better yet, actually. This yeah. is an extension of your kitchen. This is this is my kitchen. Yeah. We're hanging out here, drinking a couple it's beers. just us and having the aloe plant. Yes, and an plant. You know, I don't know why that aloe plant's over there. I think it's because I have the window open, and uh, my girlfriend didn't want uh, any rain, I think, getting on it. But, you know... It, wouldn't it help it grow? I don't know. I, I know nothing about right. plants. Whether I think they need water, so yeah. rain is water. And, uh, That's what I'm saying. I think if it was over there, it would be good for the plant, right? Essentially, the main we focus to of drown. today's podcast is, folks, take care of your aloe plants. Yes. All right. Thanks for listening, guys, and uh, join us next time. Peace.